0: In the week the Russia report rocked Westminster, raising questions about Russian influence on British politics, we've been looking back at another explosive report on Russia, one that shook the world of sport.
1: I have to say that when the report came out in November of 2015, it basically proved that everything my wife and I were saying and that the whistleblowing that we were doing had worked.
0: Vitali and Yulia Stepanov had been on the brink of divorce, but they were reunited when they joined forces to blow the whistle on Russia's state-sponsored doping program.
2: On the very day that they should be going in to confirm their divorce, she goes to see the guy who masterminded the doping program. And when she comes out of that meeting, she has hugely incriminating evidence.
0: Their revelations changed the Olympics forever. Having fled Russia in fear of their lives, they've spoken to us whilst living in hiding. You're listening to Stories of Our Times from The Times and The Sunday Times. I'm Manveen Rana. Today, the Russian doping scandal and the couple who risked their lives and marriage to blow the
3: whistle.
0: Tell us a bit about your history in this subject.
2: Oh, my God. I think it, go, <laughs> it, it, it goes back to the very beginning.
0: David Walsh is chief sports writer for The Sunday Times.
2: I was a young journalist who wanted to believe that all sports stars were heroes. And I didn't want to write about my heroes being people who might cheat. That changed.
0: For decades, David has covered some of the biggest scandals in sporting history – He led the pack in uncovering Lance Armstrong's doping programme. And then another doping scandal started to unravel. At the Winter Olympics, Russia used to dominate the medal tables. Until 2018, that is.
4: Russian athletes are competing under a
3: neutral flag at the Winter Olympics this year. Russia's official representation is banned at the Pyeongchang Games because of a large-scale doping scandal. For the past
0: five years, David has been following Vitaly and Yulia Stepanov, the whistleblowers at the centre of it all. And now he's published a book telling their extraordinary
2: tale. If we can't believe the people we are presenting as heroes, well, then we're conduits to a fiction. My initial attraction to the story was it was going to enable me to write about a doping story that actually was positive. Positive in the sense that the kind of thing that the Stepanovs did is pretty rare. And I would go as far as to say it's inspiring. It certainly inspired me. It's a love story, first and foremost. And it's a love story set against the backdrop of a doping thriller.
0: Vitaly and Yulia's story starts in 2009.
2: Vitaly and Yulian met at an outreach program at an athletics event. The outreach program involves Vitaly selling the message of anti-doping. He'd been at the Russian Anti-Doping Agency for more than a year at this time.
1: I'm Vitaly Stepanov. Uh, i worked as an anti-doping official uh, a long time
2: ago. This lowly doping control officer who works for the Russian Anti-Doping Agency
4: I'm Yulia Stepanova. I'm a professional runner from Russia.
2: She is an elite 800-meter runner, hoping to run at the Olympic Games to represent Russia. And she's a doper. And she knows that without doping, she's not going to achieve what she wants to achieve. So this all comes out on their first date. And how did that go?
1: Well, I'd say there are two views. If I look at it now, I'd say it went terrible. But in 2009, I I thought uh, it went pretty well and I might have uh, another date.
2: (laughs) Tell me what
0: happened. What made you think it went well at the time? And what's made you change your mind since?
1: I guess what really attracted me uh, to her, besides the looks, is uh, that she was honest with me right from the beginning. And it was the honesty that I did not really expect. What did she say? Well, she told me that she's a professional athlete, and she and uh, all the runners that she knows, in order to be professional athletes, they use doping. Oh, yeah.
4: <laughs> we were sitting in the car, and we were, like, talking about sport, and I told him the truth that Russian athletes are all using doping, and I'm also using it because I believe that prosada is helped to cover the doping news because my coach told me they are helping.
0: <laughs> Rosada is Russia's anti-doping agency, and at the time they were also Vitali's employers.
4: I was not worried to tell him truth because I believed he knew everything and he also part of this. <laughs>
1: Well, that was right after my speech how great of a job I'm doing about educating athletes about how bad it is to dope and the uh, bad health consequences, uh, how unethical
2: it is. And, uh... Oh. <laughs> she admits to him that she dopes because everybody dopes.
1: The summary of her short statement was that I'm doping, the athletes that I know are doping as well, and, uh, and you're an idiot.
0: But you still thought you'd get a second date? <laughs>
1: Yes, I'm often an optimistic person,
0: yes. (laughs) So were you shocked when he didn't know, when he kept talking about anti-doping?
1: Yeah, I was surprised when he
4: didn't know that all athletes using. I was sure he knew.
2: He's thinking, what do I do here? Do I ask her for a second date or do I open an investigation? And effectively, he does both.
0: Was it a shock to you the first time you were offered drugs to help your performance?
4: No, I wasn't surprised. In my situation, I was sick. A doctor told me that this should help me to fight with my sickness and also continue my training. But before that, I also was prepared that everybody in Russia is using doping. Yeah, I was not surprised.
0: Why do you think it means so much to Russia as a country? To be seen as the best in the world for athletics, to be seen beating everyone else.
4: So you know, it's very important for government to show uh, all world that Russia is a strong country, because uh, Russia is the biggest country in the world, and they want to show that not only biggest, but it is also strongest.
0: So tell me about the investigation. I mean, does he go back to work and start to investigate this? Because the Russian Anti-Doping Agency doesn't have a great reputation for probity.
2: No. Well, the very next day, on that Monday, Vitaly goes into the offices of the Russian Anti-Doping Agency and he asks his boss, who was Vyacheslav Sinev, director of the Russian Anti-Doping Agency, if they could have a conversation and uh, Sinef said, for you, Vitaly, I have plenty of time. So Vitaly said, yesterday I was on a date with an athlete. And Sinef says, well, presumably she's retired now. And Vitali said, no, she's not retired. And she told me that basically she dopes and that everybody dopes.
0: Wow. And how did his boss react?
2: Sinnev said, oh, she sounds like an interesting girl. And it sounds like you've had a very frank conversation. And Vitaly said, well, I thought you should know. That does create a problem for his boss. And Director Sidev says, basically, two words, my friend. Be careful. And the one thing that Vitaly then is not is careful. Because if he'd been careful, he would have decided that this was going to cause him real problems if he continued down this route of being the anti-doping guy who now had access to the inside story from an elite athlete.
0: Within weeks of that first rather hopeless date, when Vitaly and Julia realised they were on opposite sides of the battle against doping, the couple were somehow married.
1: I uh, probably wouldn't do it again. You would uh, probably try to uh, find out more about each other and see how you fit with each other. But you know, it's life, you cannot change your past. You can only learn from it, you can take the best parts of it and you can move on. And then you you can try to make it better. First it was a joke, (laughs) yeah.
4: We were just joking about marriage and that time in my life it was a hard time for me and I don't know. If I didn't go through all of that, maybe I I said no, but because of that hard time, yeah, I said yes.
0: Wow, and what were you thinking? W- were you in love with him, or was he just a very nice, stable person?
4: Yeah, I was looking at him. He's a nice person. He's not drinking alcohol. He's not smoking. He likes sport. Yeah, <laughs> I was looking at his positive <laughs> side.
0: And how did it actually happen? Did you propose to Yulia? Was it something in the heat of the moment?
1: We spoke about being married. We joked about it. And then the next day, uh, we had the same run again. We started having the same, similar conversation. And I said, what we talked about yesterday, I'd like to marry you. And she said, okay.
0: It seems appropriate that you were both running at the time.
1: (laughs) I guess you can say that, yeah, the heart rate was higher than usual, yes.
0: They're married, but they're still on opposing ends of the doping question.
2: Yes, it worked out badly in the initial stages. And when I say the initial stages, I'm talking the first two, three years. What you had was Vitale still on his anti-doping crusade. He being uneasy about Yulia being a doper. He then kind of having to accept something that he couldn't change, i.e. she wasn't going to change. But remember, Yulia could see it. She reckoned that she could run 800 metres in two minutes and five seconds, without doping. If she doped, she could run one minute 59. So it it did make a difference. Now that six second difference, oh, it means that from being a very good runner who really can't get near the elite athletes at 2.05, at one fifty nine, she's in an Olympic final and she's in a European final and she's earning significant amounts of money and she's got a life, she's got a way out of Kursk. She's got all the things that a young woman in her situation would have dreamt of. So she regards her husband's kind of anti-doping thing as tiresome because he's not gonna achieve anything and infuriating because it's making her life more difficult because Vitali was establishing a reputation for himself as being an annoying anti-doping guy who wouldn't play the game. So. When he came to meetings to watch her race, his presence wasn't welcomed. And when he would give her advice about maybe this doping isn't a great idea, she would say to him, are you my coach? And he would say no. And then she would say, well, then shut up. Stay out of it. It's none of your business. And she was often away at training camps and he was doing his job as an anti-doping guy. So There were long, protracted periods where they didn't see a lot of each other. You know, it was a shocking marriage, really. I mean, there would have had times when things were okay with them, But there were plenty of times when things were horrendously bad off because she didn't perform to her best. She would come home to look at a guy who didn't even think she should be racing at that level because she was cheating to get to that level. So she would take out her frustration on him. And tell him that he was ruining her life. And he certainly was making her life more difficult because she had a husband that people in and around her circle didn't like. She had got married for the wrong reason and then she's left with the consequences of it.
0: Oh, it was
1: hard. I wasn't ready for it.
0: How did the marriage go for the first couple of years?
1: I'd say we talked about divorce
2: more often than we talked about children. They talked about divorce lots of times and for 2 years their marriage was a divorce waiting to happen. So
0: what what made you want to divorce? I
4: started had problems with head coach and with doctor who was prepared me with part of golf. and I started thinking maybe because of my husband. <laughs> I knew they don't like him.
0: Yulia's coach and her doctor told her not to let Vitaly come anywhere near her training sessions for fear that he'd report them to the authorities. So Yulia decided to cut her husband out of her life.
4: I was believing that maybe he's making problems for me in sport.
0: And did they not want him there because they knew he worked for Rosada?
4: I believe they were afraid of him. Maybe they knew that he's give some information to other people, not from Russia from from the border
0: and did you think that Vitali might report you to the authorities for doping?
4: Uh, no, and that time I didn't think about this.
0: How did you feel when you found out that he did?
4: Yeah, I was surprised <laughs> when I found out this it was already when we were in Germany
0: <laughs> so that would have been in 2014 after the couple had fled Russia.
4: And I was kind of feel that it was maybe right to do it.
0: Yeah, but if you'd known then, I imagine you would have been very angry. Yeah, I think
1: so. Both of us sign papers that we would like to divorce, and then the registry office still gives you one month to think about it. And if in one month one of you comes back and signs the paper again, then we are officially divorced. So we went to the office, and yeah, I signed the paper, and I felt, okay, I lost this fight. I I fought and I lost.
2: When they've signed the papers and they leave, Vitaly and Yulia kind of don't go their separate ways because they've come in the same car. And obviously, it's pretty grim silence in the car. Like two minutes later, she's like, do you mind if I come back with you and we talk? And I'm like, what?
0: (laughs) That is a little confusing. Uh
2: and she says to him, Vitaly, now that we've agreed to get divorced and we've signed the papers, um, there's a few things I'd like to tell you. He stops at a, an off-licence and buys a bottle of cheap wine and they go back to the apartment. And she basically lets him have it.
0: What did she say?
2: She said, basically, since I've been married, you've ruined my life. And I, I actually have found somebody else. And he says, who? And she says, an 800-metre runner that I've been running with. I met him at training camp. And Vitaly knew who the guy
1: was. She told me that the first three years of our marriage, she was cheating on me.
0: And did it come as a complete surprise to you?
1: It came as, uh, oh, you've seen signs, but you preferred not to look at them and you hope for the better, but you
2: were wrong. And she said, I've already spoken to him about marriage. And Vitaly says, oh, but what Yulia doesn't tell him is that this guy is not interested in marriage. But she basically tells Vitali that if she stayed with him, she would always cheat on him.
0: Oh, she's determined to really twist the knife.
2: Yeah, well, she wanted to kind of make sure there was no turning back. And then <laughs> the most remarkable thing happened. Within a month, it all changes. And the reason it changes is she's in the Crimea, in the Ukraine. She's gone there to get mud treatment because she has an injury. And she's there on her own and she's thinking about things and the mud treatment really works. Her injury gets better. She's back running and she gets a a call from her new coach, Vladimir Kazarin. And Kazarin tells her that he's bad news. She's going to get a two-year ban for doping.
3: so to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com.
4: I learned that I will be depend. Then I just like realized that like, I'm alone. And like just one person in this world who really... Uh, cared about me and who really loved me, it was Vitaly. And I just started thinking maybe I was wrong about divorcing and maybe I should have like second chance with this person.
0: That must have been such a difficult time. Did you yeah. think your career would be over?
4: It was hard because the whole world just broken. I was looking on your future and you yeah, we were making plans and in one day it's like everything fall down. Yeah, it
0: was hard time. When did you next hear from Yulia?
1: So that was January of 2013. If somebody asked me, you know, if on January 31st of 2013, is your marriage over? I would have said yes, completely over, and both of us moved on. <laughs>
0: But that's not where this tale ends.
1: The Russian state gives you one month to think over it, yeah. So uh, I guess you can say that the
2: Russian state saved our marriage. And she starts calling Vitaly and he sees her number come up. And he doesn't pick up because this is the woman who is divorcing him pretty unceremoniously. And as she continues to ring, he gets an impression that something is wrong. Because she would never call him and call him and call him. I didn't answer. No, fair enough.
1: I think I was strong for a day or two, but then I finally answered.
0: How did you feel when she said she didn't want to divorce?
1: I said, it's not my problem anymore. Good luck in your life. You made the decision. I made the decision. We signed the papers. Good luck. That was the initial answer. How did you change your mind? Surprisingly, that evening she talked a lot. (laughs) It was usually me doing the talking, and she's thinking that I'm the idiot. And that night she was the talking one. And at the end of the conversation, I felt that she's still my wife. Yes, maybe it's not over.
0: Wow, that must have been quite a moment.
1: Just another one in our relationship. (laughs) Uh, Happily married.
0: But she was facing a lot of trouble with a potential ban. What were your thoughts?
1: She wasn't the only one cheating it. At least in Russia, every runner was cheating, and that was hidden part of the rules. And she's being sanctioned, and according to the World Anti-Doping Agency uh, code, she will be sanctioned, and after that she can come back. But if she gets caught the second time, it most likely it will be a, a lifetime ban. And if she's facing a decision, she can either continue to stay within this system, or... She can go to me and say, uh, let's fight together. That's what she did.
0: Do you think the reason you decided to go against the system, was that partly because of what Vitaly used to say to you about anti-doping?
4: Yeah, I think maybe half because of Vitaly and another half because when I start travel to other countries and I started to meet other athletes, I felt like they're not cheaters. They're clean athletes and What is going on in Russia, it's just in Russia, not in uh, all other countries.
2: So she comes back to Moscow, and on the very day that they should be going in to confirm their divorce, she goes to see Alexei Melnikov, top Russian athletics coach, the guy who masterminded the doping program. And she sits and talks with him for more than an hour. And when she comes out of that meeting, she has hugely incriminating evidence on her phone because she has taped a phone call under Vitaly's guidance. The International Athletics Federation, now called World Athletics, who were then the IAAF, have been looking at Russian drug sample results and they have a new means of assessing them. And the new means is what they call the... Athlete biological passport, where you look at somebody's blood values over a series of time, and if there is a lot of variation, it creates a score that basically says this person is a doper. The Russian coaches and medical officers had no understanding of how the athlete biological passport worked, and they were basically caught unprepared. And Russia has to give up a number of its athletes now. It was Russia's choice, almost, to give up the names. And Yulia had had an injury. She hadn't performed well in one final, a European indoors final. And she'd been a little bit disappointing. So they decided she was expendable. They handed her over. They handed her over, as they did many other athletes. They didn't hand over the best ones, of course. The really top ones, the ones who were winning gold medals at Olympic Games. They handed over some from the very next tier, and Yulia was in that next tier.
0: Was it her decision to fight the system?
1: Yes, it, it was. She said, you were right, I was wrong. This is not right. Most likely we cannot change anything, but two persons is better than one, and I can help you to get that evidence. And hopefully somebody is willing to look at it if we get it.
0: That must have been very hard for you, Leo. How did you support her through that? Because she was taking a lot of risks gathering evidence. Were there moments when you worried about her?
1: No, I I was worried. Both of us were worried. Over the few years, that she made many, many recordings. You kind of get used to it. You learn from your previous conversations how to talk about it, how to uh, not be caught, not to be too obvious. And uh, in the end, she never got caught whatever methods we used, which were pretty simple. Hold your phone in your hands, like it's a completely regular thing. Only the unregular thing would be that while you're holding your phone, it's not powered off, it's recording. And that was the time when already holding your smartphone in your hand, it was more usual than not holding your phone. (laughs) somewhere next to you. So that's how we went about it. In fact, there were people that told us maybe we should use more sophisticated equipment and to which I said, no, no, we are not going to (laughs) look any different than others. And it worked.
0: How did you feel when she'd come back with these recordings with complete evidence of what you were saying?
1: If one day it becomes public, then besides the argument that the Russian Athletics Federation and the Russian Ministry of Sports would make that she's a cheater and she's a doper and I'm the husband who helped her dope, we will have some other statements that were recorded by the top people within the Russian Athletics Federation and coaches and athletes as well.
0: What did they do when they gathered all of these recordings of some of Yulia's closest friends and people she's worked with for years? What did they do with the evidence?
2: The evidence, which existed in the form of tape recordings and video clips, they handed over to Hayo Seppelt the German investigative journalist who was producing this documentary for German state television. So the evidence really was irrefutable. I mean, Russia complained it was all lies, but they didn't ask to do voice authentication kind of um, tests on all the voices because they knew that the tapes were good.
0: What you did had a massive impact across the world. You know, it really did make a a real difference. What was that moment like for you when those recordings were finally published and the world knew?
1: It wasn't that fast. So the documentary by the ARD... Dies sind Julia Stepanova und Vitali Stepanov und ihr kleiner Sohn Robert. ...and the German investigative journalist Hayo Seppelt happened. Then uh, it's my understanding that there was some fight within the World Anti-Doping Agency... something should be done about this documentary, if there should be an investigation, or everybody just should sit quietly and wait until the storm goes by. Luckily for us, those that thought that there should be an investigation won, and the independent commission by Professor Richard Pound, an IOC member, International Olympic Committee member, was started.
2: Uh, we have made findings and recommendations regarding the Moscow Laboratory and the Russian uh, NADO, RUSADA. We have reported on interference with doping controls uh, on many occasions, not just in the past, but up to and including the middle of this year, well after it was known that this investigation was underway. Uh, we have found uh, cover-ups, we found destruction of samples in the laboratories, we found payments of money in order to conceal uh, doping tests.
1: I have to say that when the report came out in November of 2015, almost one year after the documentary, and that year we just had to wait patiently, it was stronger than I uh, I could think. And in the end, it basically proved that everything my wife and I were saying, and that things must be changed, and that the whistleblowing that we were doing had uh, worked. Yes, I'd say it worked for for clean athletes and the cheating was exposed and there is a chance that things might be better in the future.
0: That must have been such an extraordinary relief.
1: You got this small feeling that it's possible to make a difference. Yeah, I'd say it was a good feeling, yes.
0: Ahead of the 2016 Olympic Games in Rio a number of Russian athletes were banned from taking part, including all those who are competing in track and field events.
2: We have breaking news in the sports world. This morning, Russia received a four-year ban for doping from the World Anti-Doping Agency. This means there will likely be no Russian team... at the.
0: 20- the ban was imposed again in December last year, when the World Anti-Doping Agency banned Russia from taking part in all major sporting events for the next four years. Athletes who can prove they're clean will be allowed to compete under a neutral flag. And When you saw Russia being banned from big international athletics events, how did that feel to your old teammates and your country?
4: I hope that maybe we can have more people who decided to tell the truth. Because I, I knew before I left Russia, I talked with the athletes and they were like crying about this system, what's going on in Russia. Like they were scared that nothing is changes. Like so many athletes in Russia is disqualified and like Russian coaches don't want to change um, system of preparation. I was hoping maybe athletes decided to tell truth and decided to change it, to help us to change it. And nobody came out they started call us liars.
0: That must have been so hard.
4: Yeah, I was very disappointed because I hoped that they want to change the system and they, they can go and tell the truth, but no, they decided to
0: continue to lie. And were you scared about some of the threats that you were facing too? And also about the Russian government, who must have been furious?
4: Yeah, in the beginning, it was. I was very scared, thinking maybe they want to kill us. <laughs> After we did.
0: Do you still worry about it? Do you still worry about the danger you might be in?
4: Now I'm just thinking like if they decided to kill me I cannot do anything
1: with it. They will kill me.
0: And what about now? I mean, are you safe now or do you have to keep looking over your shoulder?
1: We are in the United States now. We applied for asylum here. We are waiting to be interviewed. We like where we are. We hope we can stay in this country. But Both of us realised that uh, when we are interviewed and uh, the decision as of now, it's 50-50. But we like where we are, we feel safe, but we don't exactly go uh, around and tell everybody what we did.
0: And how's your marriage now?
1: It's better and we are working on it. And we have a six-year-old son who likes to drive us crazy as well. (laughs) It's not two of us driving each other crazy, it's a love triangle now.
0: Has all of this brought you together? Yeah,
4: all this situation, all
0: this fighting for doping. yeah. Brought us together, and
4: now we're good, happy family.
0: Do you think some of the other athletes who you used to know, do you think they'd be pleased that you did what you did?
4: I knew some of them. They uh, say thank you to us. Really? Yeah, I was glad to see that, like, not... All of them
0: hate us. So, David, you've spent much of the last five years on this story. Why did you feel like you
2: had to write it? Because when you come across people as interesting and as brave as Vitaly and Yulia Stepanov, you kind of think it's a bit of a privilege to get to know them. And it's an absolute privilege to be able to help them tell their story. You know, I wrote a book about my experience with Lance Armstrong. I've written other books. If I'm on my deathbed, the book that I would look back on with the most satisfaction would be The Russian Affair, because that's the book that shows you what real heroes look like.
0: David's book, The Russian Affair, the true story of the couple who uncovered the greatest sporting scandal is out now. You've been listening to Stories of Our Times with me, Manveen Rana, and my guests, the chief sports writer for The Sunday Times, David Walsh, and Vitaly and Yulia Stepanov. You can read more of David's work at thetimes.co.uk or in print on Sundays. The producers were Edward Drummond, James Shield and Will Rowe, The executive producer is Leo Hornack and the deputy executive producer is Poppy Damon. Sound design was by Carla Patella. Music by Breakmaster Cylinder and Ketzer. If you get a chance, please do leave us a review. We'd love to know what you think of the podcast. You can also subscribe for free. We're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Acast and more. If you'd like to keep up to date and well informed on coronavirus and so much more, then do think about taking out a digital subscription to The Times and The Sunday Times. Visit thetimes.co.uk slash subscribe to find out more. See you soon.